0: Hey, welcome back to The Last of Us presented by Pop Culture Leftovers. I'm one of your hosts, Brian, from Pop Culture Leftovers, and I am joined by Mr. Joe Stark, also of Pop Culture Leftovers. Welcome, Joe. Hey, stoked to be here. Not only do we have Joe, but we have returning again, Melissa Slaughter from the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Welcome, Melissa.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: And we have Billy from The Reality Guys on YouTube. Welcome back, Billy. Hey everyone, excited to be here and to be on time this week. On time this week? Yeah, man. No no uh no Bob Vila projects around the house. This no, it's week.
2: looking good. There's sheetrock up in the basement and everything now.
0: Joe, is Bob Vila is that is that a dated thing now? Do people know who Bob Vila is anymore? This old house? I don't
3: know because I'm I'm of that same generation as you to where you say that and I immediately think this old house. Should I be
0: saying the property brothers, do they do work on houses or do they just what do they do? I don't even know what the property brothers do. Yeah, they yeah. houses. Yeah, yeah. Who, who's
3: that? Who, who's that couple with the the guy and the girl? They they've had it that show forever. The are you talking about and Chip, and, Chip and Joanna? Yeah, <laughs> yes. jo- Chip and Joanna, man. Joanna. Ooh. Now, yeah, I, I seem to, to always see that show when I'm at my mom and dad's house. To where the point where I'm like, how often are you guys watching this? Oh god, your dad must be miserable. That's got to
0: be your mom putting him through that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Dad's pretty good at doing his own thing. This it's uh yeah, this time of year, I think deer deer season's all done now, so um yeah, yeah. He's probably stuck in the house now. I, I know towards the end of the year in the wintertime when a couple different deer seasons come up, that dude's out in the woods a lot.
0: Yeah, your, your dad learned happy wife, happy life, and I didn't, and that's why I'm divorced and, and sad, Joe. So, <laughs> More props to your father. But we're here to talk about The Last of Us, Episode 4, which... Uh, Huge news for The Last of Us. The 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 ratings, the the viewership, excuse me, just keeps going up. HBO reported a total of seven point five million viewers in uh, the fourth episode on HBO and HBO Max on Sunday. This is an increase of seventeen percent from The Last of Us episode three. So viewership just continues to rise every week. This show is becoming uh, it's becoming a big deal.
3: Oh, huge hit. And, you know, that word of mouth is just so positive. Just every week, more and more people are singing the show's praises and it really shows.
2: We got episode organic growth really is remarkable to see. Like we don't see that anymore. Right. Especially four weeks in to see that consistent growth. And I really would be surprised now that we wouldn't see it. I know you'll talk about it, but like with the new next episode releasing on a different day, like I think that opens up another big chance for viewership to, on that night. I, I just think that they are just, and it's just, it's just amazing to see that, like you said, Joe. It's mostly word of mouth, and
0: I, I just think it's just, it's really incredible. I am curious. It's really though.
1: exciting. Oh, sorry.
0: I was just real quick. Uh, I am curious to see if the, if the viewership does go up. Because of the change of days, um, I know that when you watch the episode now, it tells you that the new episode drops early on Friday. You can stream it on Friday. But I wonder how many people are going to know that and then, like, show up Sunday and th- – you know what I mean? Just show up late on su- on, on Sunday. So it will be interesting to see if they have, like, big Friday numbers. What were you saying, Melissa?
1: I was just going to say it's really exciting to see a show do this because a lot of the conversation around, like, Game of Thrones and Westworld, like, kind of falling off in quality was like, oh, we've seen the end of everybody watching the same thing and talking about it. And even White Lotus got a little bit of that, but that's still kind of a niche show, I think. So I, I just think that it's exciting and it's cool to see that uh Sunday night television does still have the power to bring so many people together and grow week over week. It's not a niche thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, this is huge. It's like I know it's not doing like Walking Dead numbers back in like 2000 and 10 when that premiered, but it's still it's still getting really good uh viewership so hopefully it'll continue to go up and uh i mean we really don't have to worry about a season two order hbo has already taken care of that but um i'm very happy to see that this show is uh pulling in really good numbers um this episode was titled what oh uh Please hold to my hand. And it was directed by Jeremy Webb and written by uh, Craig Mazin. And uh, it looks like episode five is the same two taking on duties, which makes sense. I feel like. I feel like episode two still going to take place in the same area, of course. I don't think it's going to be like a flashback episode or anything like that, because I'm still waiting for that flashback episode with Riley. We haven't gotten that yet. Um, episode five, it just feels like it's a a continuation. So like, why why change anything up? This episode was only like forty five minutes long too. Were you guys upset with that? I mean, a lot of people have come out and said I wish it was longer. It's like I don't. If it's ten minutes longer, it's ten minutes longer. I don't know.
1: I was I thought it felt. I thought it felt good. Like, um. Because It's clearly setting up like a, sh- a short arc we're going to do in this location, like you were saying. Um, but it it flew it by, and I like to know that a show is in such capable hands that they will just give you the episode as it makes the most sense, they don't need to pat it out, they yeah. don't need to, you know, cut stuff out of it. So I liked it, we I don't, appreciated it.
0: We Don't need the un- unnecessary filler, just give us what's in- integral to like this particular. You know, episode to move forward. I, I appreciate that as well. I always appreciated that about like, uh, you know, uh, the streaming model and the way HBO's been doing it. So,
3: oh, absolutely. The especially if this is going to be a a two kind of more or less a two episode arc with them here in Kansas City, then this was likely the most logical point for them to split this arc in half, and and end on a moment that is. You know, somewhat tense. Mm -hmm. Our, Our characters are in an uncertain situation. What's going to be happening next? Why try and add another few minutes onto that and cut it in a spot that's maybe not quite as dramatic?
2: Yeah, I agree, Joe. I think this episode did a great balance of having that dramatic action, introducing new characters, introducing new groups. But kind of as we're teased at the end of the episode, it looks like we're going to meet. Additional characters and to kind of have to restart and to reintroduce new characters, you would have had to extend the episode more probably than more than 10 minutes longer. And so I do agree. And also, obviously, knowing the structure of where the story is going from playing the games, I do think it was a perfect uh, dropping off point. And it seems like um, we'll talk later that they're pulling some elements from other times in the game into this location, which is also a changed location from where it happens in the game. So, um, really cool. And again, subverting expectations, but I thought a great episode.
0: Yeah. And the games, instead of going to Kansas City, they went to Pittsburgh. I think in the show, what they're wanting to do is move them along a little bit faster. Um, Kansas City's closer. So they're probably just wanting to speed this along a little bit more. And, all, you know, and I think they're just going to be taking I-70 West all the way out there is what I got from it. And so this just goes right into I-70 West. So it'll be interesting to see once they get out of Kansas City where they're going to be headed to.
3: Um, starting, I heard the showrunners talking about this. They said that one of the big reasons for the Pittsburgh change was they looked at a map and then they looked at where the story's going, especially in the next season. And what – you know, seasons of the year they want these things to take place in. And so they said, we really need them around this point of the map in mm. this point of our story. And so that's why they and also because they were shooting this in I think it was Calgary, yeah, Canada, and they just couldn't really make that area look like Pittsburgh. And so like, hey, all signs point towards, let's do this Kansas City. It makes sense on multiple levels.
0: The only people they're going to bitch about it are the people that live in Kansas City. You know, so it's
3: it, <laughs> or the people who live in Pittsburgh that like, where's our fucking representation? Yeah, that's
0: true. That's true. Um, when we start the episode and we've got uh, Ellie. She's alone in a gas station bathroom. It's the um, she's actually in the men's bathroom um, and she's got her gun out. She's practicing aiming her new gun that she got at Bill and Frank's. And um, she is. She's loving this thing. I mean, she's, you know, she's pulling the trigger with an empty barrel. She loads it. She even smells it before she puts it away. But she's kind of, like, doing her, like, little dirty, hairy look in the mirror. And and uh it's this attraction to violence that we've seen her with. I mean, we know that she's got her knife, but we also know that, you know, we saw her previously stab that uh, infected zombie in, in the previous episode. And then we'd also seen her, like, kind of really enjoying watching joel beat up the fedra soldier at the first quarantine zone and so this is just kind of like her attraction to this violence melissa were you worried are you worried about her or i mean personally i i mean this didn't scare me all that much this is just like a kid with a gun you know like
1: yeah Well, and what I was thinking of is that like it very much seems to me, at least like she is familiar with gun handling, even though Joel has been telling her that she can't have one. And we get a little bit of we get a little bit of explanation for that later in the episode. She was at a military school and all that. But I've shot guns, but I'm not confident with guns. You know, I will shoot a gun for fun if somebody does all those things and then hands it to me. <laughs> and then <laughs> I have my fun and then I hand it back. <laughs> um, but I it wasn't this. It wasn't this part of the episode with the gun that I was worried about her. But there is a part later in the episode that we will get to where I kind of had alarm bells pinging in the back of my mind. Um. But yeah, I'm right with you. I think that she she has an attraction to this violence. I mean, it's what she grew up with. So I have to assume that this is what this is what she thinks being in the world is, is being around and, you know, experiencing and dealing out violence. And she's definitely getting those things.
0: Yes and no. It's weird because I I do agree with that. I think she's attracted to it. But on the flip side, there is like a moment later in the episode where she's kind of like holding on to the hope of humanity. And, and it's Mm -hmm. Joel, who's the one who's like, there is no hope. You're, You're delusional. Have you seen the world? And she hasn't. So, I mean, at this point, I still think she's been pretty much sheltered, you know, while she was staying in Boston. So I think her eyes really aren't open to like the dangers of the world yet.
1: No, yeah, I that's, agree. that's probably true.
0: I
2: agree. But, I mean, cause there's also like the moment, the emphasis of like the one hand versus two hands and showing that she didn't really realize that she needed to use two hands until she was instructed later. It's also like we we kind of talked about this last week. It's romanticizing violence. Yeah. And when she is presented with actual violence in this episode, she gets to see that it isn't all fun games, and how it looks super easy to Joel. And then we'll obviously get into Joel explaining that this is not his first or tenth or hundredth rodeo in this type of situation and violence. And that's when it becomes second nature, and you know, not just initially—you're not born that way.
0: Yeah,
3: I I really felt this scene. The all the just this this open of the episode with her just being fascinated with this gun. At such a young age in, in getting it. Um, I, I think I was like around 11 or 12. Like I grew up in the Midwest. And so I got my first gun when I was like 11 or 12. And I remember being fairly fascinated by it. Um, and like, I, I don't think I, I didn't do any dirty, hairy shit in front of a mirror. But granted, I didn't get like a Beretta 70 series. It was like a break action, like single shot 20 gauge shotgun that I learned how to shoot clay pigeons and shit on. But um I just really felt this scene of just seeing somebody who's especially with a handgun that is fucking way too young to be holding a gun like that. Mm -hmm. And, and like, even when she like smells it because like gun oil is such a distinctive smell and it's, it's wild. Like seeing the fascination in her face and like the buildup of all the episodes going up to this, she kept asking for a gun and not getting one. And then at the end of episode three, she finds one on her own and then conceals it and, this episode starting off with her just showing her fascination with this thing. This is finally giving her a, a modicum of power in this world because we, she's growing up in a post-apocalyptic world where power, like to quote an old like Rage Against the Machine shirt, like power stems from the barrel of a gun. And now she's on the side where she has power. She's not the helpless one at the end of the first episode that was being held at gunpoint. She has a little bit of agency of her own with this little pistol in her possession. And she's just absolutely fascinated by it. And it was really, really like indicative of this world that she's growing up in. That's so fucked up that a, a child her age would value having a gun this much.
0: Dude, you make a great point with her, like having like this, uh, this power that this newly acquired power of having this gun in this world because later there's a moment where you know she goes for her knife instead because i feel like she doesn't want to lose that power lose the gun so let's just go for the knife um and i guess you could also make the argument that you know the knife is way more violent in that situation um so much more up close and intimate and personal. It is. And, you know, stabbing, that's way more – I don't know. This stabbing is basically – it's like an extension of you and a gun. You can kind of separate yourself from the situation. I do feel like, though, it was a, a choice of of losing that power in that moment. Like if I pull out the gun here and Joel sees it, I can lose the power.
3: Oh, without a doubt. She had to consciously make that choice. It's either I let this guy die or I save his life and hopefully he's cool with the fact that I have this gun. Yeah. Uh, we, we,
0: she leaves. Uh, she puts the gun back in the backpack, goes out, sees Joel siphoning gas out of old abandoned cars so that they can fill up Bill's truck. Now, in this world, you know, gas, gasoline is it, it's basically it's just turning into water. And so they have to fill up like every hour and um so he's siphoning. They have this talk about, <laughs> you know, how do you do that? That's cool. And Joel starts going into some, uh, you know, Bill Nye science guy, but he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And she calls him out on it. So classic. <laughs> and So classic. And then uh, Ellie pulls out this book of puns, this no pun intended volume two. And then she points out it's like T-O-O because it's the sequel, but it's also a pun. And so...
3: It's incredible. It's <laughs> uh,
0: great. Yeah. This is where we really get to see the kid and her kind of shine through. And I was like, I actually got to see like how this was pulled from the video game. And I know a lot of people have a lot of love for that video game and, and the voice actors and stuff like that. But every clip and you know what? I haven't played the games, but every clip that I've seen... Of the the voice actor and then watching Bella Ramsey, I think Bella Ramsey is just, like, on another level. And you can disagree with me because I haven't played the games, but I've seen the clips. And I just think that Bella Ramsey is delivering these lines, a uh, some of these lines, a lot better. <laughs> I'm just going to say it.
2: Yeah, I, I... – It's what's really nice, I feel like, and I think this was probably a conscious choice all the way from the showrunners to, you know, to Bella Ramsey themselves. She's playing a different Ellie in a lot of ways. A lot of the lines are the same, but she seems like she's playing like a younger Ellie, in my opinion. The Ellie in the game plays a little bit more mature and comes off a little bit older. Um, But again, I, I, right now, I'm not sure. I'm going to wait to hold my decision until the end of the season but it's it's not a far-fetched thing to say i think right now that you could prefer that performance
0: i'm just going off a handful of clips so yeah. whatever if people want to disagree with me i don't care it just i've just seen a handful of clips and i'm comparing him and maybe if i'd played the game i don't know i'm not saying, i'm not taking anything away from the voice actors in the game i think they're doing a great job but I don't know, just from what I've seen in the series, I think Bella Ramsey's is doing a fantastic job as well. And I saw online that this book will probably be important to a future episode and involve a flashback with another character that we've heard about in the series. Um, that is if they follow the game's DLC. So, um, th- I'm looking forward to that if it does come up. Um, as they're, they get in the truck and they're driving along and Ellie finds a cassette tape of hank williams alone and forsaken that they start to play and then she finds one of uh i'm guessing it's one of bill's gay porn magazines
1: <laughs> yeah
0: totally. Yeah, it is. and then she's like it
1: took me my second watch to realize that like we knew who owned that truck before that
0: <laughs> yeah me,
1: an idiot <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't.
3: I, I don't think it was Joel. Um, I can just sorry. picture like Bill, Man, like furtively <laughs> buying it from like a truck stop. The magazine's wrapped in plastic. He's got dark sunglasses and a big hat on. <laughs> He's right. Buying this book and then running back to his truck. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's called Bearskin.
0: And <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe she's opening this magazine, looking at this guy's junk. And she talks about how did he even walk around with
3: that thing. And then, <laughs> well, the laugh lines, so... yeah, the I'm lines sorry. that she drops here are so funny.
1: I laughed so hard, my cat ran away. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent.
0: And then she wonders why the pages are stuck together. And then, you know, Joel is like in this uncomfortable kind of like you know this is like you know this is very uncomfortable for him uh, for this uh 14 year old girl to be you know saying things like this and and he doesn't know because he's been out of like dad mode forever and this is not like the uh this is not like a uh full house kind of like uh dj you know you know mr tanner moment
3: this is really messed up (laughs) but (laughs) she like grew up in a dormitory with other kids so i mean for sure she's heard it all yeah
1: yeah she's definitely fucking with him and i feel like joel just like let sarah give herself the sex talk like from an intellectual book resource (laughs) rather than
3: (laughs) put them both through this (laughs) i hadn't even considered that that's fantastic
0: so between the book and the joking about the magazine, she's she's slowly kind of like just opening up like this goofy side to Joel. I mean, we've seen a little bit of it in the past, but she's starting to be more playful and she's just I mean, she just wants to she's still a kid, you know? She's gonna she's gonna be a goofball and um I think even in these moments it's starting to it's she's starting to grow on him. We don't see it here but I still think that she's kind of like she's starting to grow on him a little bit. Um and uh, they're traveling west. We see like uh, herds of bison on the side of the road. We see a bunch of abandoned cars and military ve- vehicles and even tanks and they get to the point where they're going to uh they're going to camp for the night so they pull off the road and go drive into the woods to spend the night and um joel then starts to cook a meal of 20 year old chef boyardee ravioli which they enjoy would you eat 20 year old chef boyardee ravioli joel uh uh, joe
3: oh if the can wasn't like misshapen or dented or anything absolutely
1: the issue with this for me is that I don't currently eat Chef Boyardee because one time I ate Chef Boyardee and then unfortunately came down with the flu. And now those two things are linked in my mind.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, now and it's I a post-apocalyptic world yep. and you're starving.
1: And I was like, <laughs> I would have to get over it. I would have to.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I would eat chef ravioli.
0: <laughs> I fucking I, I grew up on Chef Boyardee, man.
1: Yeah, same. <laughs>
0: And ravioli was like my favorite. I love the beef ravioli. Oh, it was
3: so good. Yeah, ravioli, <laughs> spaghettios with
0: meatballs. Yeah. Yes,
1: spaghettios.
0: <laughs> oh man. Um Yeah, every once in a while I do have a craving for some spaghettios, even as an adult, Joe.
3: Oh uh, dude, the last time I gave into one, I was like, This stuff is fucking garbage. I can't believe I liked it as a kid. I'm never putting this in my mouth again. Oh, I would probably eat the fucking shit out of some ravi- So <laughs> It some, was some much better in the nostalgic memory than it was in reality yeah unfortunately. i don't know there's so,
0: there is something about being an adult and then like your palate's a little bit more refined you've gone and you've, you've i don't know i try to eat more organic and fresh and, and stuff like that these days there's something about opening a can and watching your food slide out of a can that is not <laughs> sexy you know
1: yes. like oh. you can eat that shit actually cold like you could stick a spoon in the can and just yeah. eat it.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, heating eat, is an option. But, <laughs> but it, otherwise, you've got you've got overcooked pasta, mystery meatballs, and like just this like neon orange fucking sauce. And so it's like, as an adult, I thought about it way too hard, and I was like, ah, oh, fuck, it was better when I was a ignorant child and was just excited about SpaghettiOs and meatballs.
0: Yeah. Beggars can't be choosers in the post-apocalyptic world. No, no, no. You
3: eat them and you be happy you got them.
1: (laughs) Not to skip ahead, but they're doing better than, you know, the folks eating just, like, canned green beans, presumably cold.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. People drinking their own piss like Bear Grylls. I'm still eating the Chef (laughs) Boyardee.
0: Oh, Billy. Come on, man. Get with it. Uh. Anyway, Ellie's, Ellie gets out her sleeping bag and she says her sleeping bag smells good. And Joel says, that must be Frank's. And I laughed at that. <laughs> um, Joel is telling Ellie that they should reach Wyoming in a few days. And uh, even though it's cold, they're not going to start a fire. And she's worried about it drawing in the infected. And he says it's, it's pretty much it's too remote for them. He's not worried about them. He's worried about drawing in actual people. And um, she's like, well, you know, you know, they could rob us. And he's like, probably worse. There's worse things that they could do. And um, yeah, just use your imagination because you never know who could show up. Um, And that's the thing. It's like even though we get this first group in Kansas City, I'm thinking like, how tame is this group going to be compared to like some of the other groups that we're going to see in
3: the future of this show? You know, I mean... Yeah, I mean, at least these ones are living in a city where you can still go out and scavenge for like supplies from the that are still left over from the modern world. I worry more about the ones that are out in the wilderness that are really living like Lord of the Flies style.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Very fair observation.
0: Um, Ellie wants to ask Joel a serious question. And I knew it was going to be something from that fucking book of puns. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it as soon as
3: she said it. And she, spe- I loved how she pulled out her flashlight first. Too. She shuts off the the lamp, the lantern, and then pulls out her flashlight, looks at the book a little bit, shuts it off like she's like she's like Batman like doing her prep time.
0: <laughs> she uh, she says, why did the scarecrow win an award? Joel says because he was outstanding in his field. And she's like, you dick, you have read this book. And so um. I just thought it was funny that Joel had to like turn around really quickly because he does crack a smile here. I don't think he wanted her to see that he, that he cracked a smile. He's not going to give her any satisfaction from that book yet. <laughs> so I loved it.
1: <laughs> Do you so it's think it's pretty that... safe to
2: assume? I think that he read that to his daughter. Is that like yes. what they're trying to establish here? Oh, that's, it's that's
3: the so cool. same wavelength I was on, Billy. That that was something that like his own daughter was obsessed with puns. Like this is what I made up into my head that his own daughter loved puns. And with her like reciting them off like that, he was like, no, you can't do this. You're, you're get, you're going to worm your way into my heart. And I can't be having that. She's cargo. Yes.
0: <laughs> Ellie asks if uh, he's sure about people not finding him and he, you know, he reassures her, but I think in that moment, even himself, it's created a little bit of doubt. And so we get to, You know, we get to see that little shot of him holding holding the rifle up all night waiting and uh, protecting her and uh, watching over the camp. So I think I think in that moment and it makes you think about like later on in the episode, like all the things that, you know, he's put through the ringer physically and this is all on like no sleep later on i'm just like oh my gosh this guy this guy needs a break this guy needs to go to this guy needs to go to sleep he's 56 for crying out
3: loud oh for sure and that that can you can almost use that to forgive him of some of the really bad decisions he makes later on
0: yeah uh in the morning they start to pack up and hit the road um they well we we find out that ellie is disgusted by coffee um could you
1: imagine (laughs) sipping a decent coffee after 20 years in the apocalypse
0: (laughs) oh
2: my yeah it's one
1: of those things where i was just like i have to pause. like i didn't pause the episode but i could have paused the episode and just like sat there staring off into space daydreaming about waiting 20 years for a decent cup of coffee
3: (laughs) (laughs) well especially like that's campfire coffee cooked in like an old school percolator like that's going to be fucking really special.
0: Yeah. The, oh. the only way it could be any better is if Juan Valdez and his trusty donkey like pulled up and handed you a <laughs> cup, you know? Oh, my God.
2: They, what's interesting, too, is that that is like a little side piece in the game. that You can go off in the hotel and you come across an old espresso machine and it sparks this kind of optional side conversation. So that's where it's really interesting to a lot of these nods are side conversations in the game as well. So it is interesting that like the side conversations are ones that like you may not necessarily have actually ever heard in the game unless you wandered off into that specific hallway. So a nice uh, definite Easter egg nod there.
0: You know, coming across, you know, being able to drink coffee in the post apocalypse and we saw like, you know, Bill and Frank eating the strawberries. Some of these things are just like they're luxuries now, you know? So I I think it's really cool that, uh, Joel got his coffee here. um, in the morning, yeah, they, they pack up, they hit the road. Joel's driving, Ellie's using the map, and uh, they start to have a conversation. Uh, the conversation that they're having leads into a talk about uh, Joel's brother, Tommy. And we learn a little bit more about what happened to Tommy and why he's not with Joel. And in Wyoming, we find out the last place that uh, he was, that they, that they contacted him, he was in Cody, and, um, some of, th- some of this we learned in the first episode, but it's a little more detailed here in this conversation. Joel tells the story about how, uh, Tommy is something of a joiner. He always dreamed of being a hero. So he joined the army out of high school and then went off to Operation Desert Storm. But after Operation Desert Storm, he was not, he, it didn't leave him feeling like a hero. So he's still like, looking to fill that. And we saw the uh, Operation Desert Storm bumper sticker on the back of his truck in the first episode. Um, After the pandemic started, Tommy talked Joel into joining a group that was headed to the Boston QZ. And Joel agreed. But the only reason he agreed to do so is so he could watch over Tommy and keep him safe. And then from there, that's when they met Tess and some other people in that crew. And... After that, Tommy met Marlene, and then she talked him into joining the Fireflies, and that was a group that wants to save the world. And uh Joel thinks that their hopes are a pipe dream, they're delusional, and this is where Ellie talks about hope and that, you know, says, like, we have to try. And Joel says, you haven't seen the world yet. And I think that's important. That's an important... uh I think it's a good balance between these two. I think Joel needs a little bit of that hope, and then she also needs to realize the situation <laughs> that they're in and that it's not going to be it's not going to be easy out there. Like it's it's she's lived a pretty sheltered life. I do think that she's had things that have happened to her and I'm sure we're going to find out about those, but she's experienced nothing in my opinion to what they're going to experience on this journey. So I think they're a good balance,
3: oh yeah, One of them is full of optimism and the other is full of pessimism mm-hmm. and And together, like they, they both need a, a little measure of each other's <laughs> to, to balance themselves out and and it was, it's also I think that this is a really great opportunity to show that, despite everything that's going on, and we're in the fourth episode of this already, Joel is still very much that broken man. We're just starting to see that that flame of attachment. Come into his life, and I think as that flame grows and grows, you're going to see his optimism grow because suddenly now he has something to lose, and so he's going to need to to hold on to that hope.
2: It's it's honestly to to look back, and I think the backstory stuff will be crucial because it is also a trend for her and where like it, you know I think Brian she has experience loss and I think you're right that some of the things that they're going to see and the kind of just the circumstances are going to be crazy but I think what this journey may be frustrating for her or be scary for her is that she's thinking hopefully this isn't going to be a repeat of history she grows close to someone am I going that means am I going to lose them now and it seems to be a trend for her and you know she's been alluding to that and obviously having no parents and the whole you know that already being her background so it is like a kind of that also dread of every step she's taking worrying if when is it going to be like it was before for me? What I,
0: <laughs> what I like about this is that it's it's like it's real. It feels real. It, the world feels like it's po- – I know it's like post-apocalyptic, but everything that they've set up with like relationships seems real. Like it's not a Disney fucking movie. Like Disney movies, like the parents mm. are dopes. They're idiots. The kids are always right. The parents won't listen and the kids are the ones that save the day. I'm not saying that – yeah you know, I'm just saying that in this one in this show Joel is is the protector at this point not saying that she can't do things to help him and that she's not savvy and that she can't but she still is a child
3: Am I making any sense here No I think I totally know what you mean is in that because it's like because she's this child she's coming in with this youthful naivety but
0: in there's something mm-hmm. like street smarts, like Joel has been out there doing things. And I think if she's put into certain situations without him, she's not going to pick up on certain things. Like later on in the episode, the guy who's injured. I think uh, I think in that situation, oh. had it been mm-hmm. just her, she's willing to help this guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. saying yeah. that, even just for that with for the sure.
1: fire too. like Joel has said to her already that there are worse things out here than infected. And yet it was infected that she thought was preventing them from lighting a fire. And Exa- not
0: other people. Exactly. There's something... So to- even
1: stuff she should have already... Not should necessarily, but even stuff that she would have had the ability to know, she's still... That's not internalized.
0: There's only so much you can learn from a military school. And there, there, there's... There's a you learn more hands on life experience and Joel has that life experience and it's something important to pass down. I'm what I'm doing is comparing it to like a Disney movie where like the parents are dumb, they pass nothing down to the kid, and it's
3: that's not how the real world world works yeah, though. Because in those scenarios, the kids are just automatically smart, and it's like yes. how'd you get so smart if you got such a dumbass parent? Right. And Yeah, in this one, because Previously, up to this point, up to this episode, the worst she's seen of humanity is the brutal, tyrannical way that Fedra ran things in the QZ that she lived at. And now it's she's having to have her world opened up to a whole new level of just how fucked up humanity will go when they're in a truly desperate situation and they're looking at the world as... I have to do this to protect my community, my small group of loved ones, and if that means brutalizing you and dehumanizing you to do that, then we're going to do that. And she's previously not really had any any sort of contact with people who are really like that outside of Fedra, who is really operating more as like this fascist military force, and so it's a totally different level. That's a that's a great observation, dude. I hadn't even really considered that angle of it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's from one extreme to the other. I'm just saying I think the show does a really good job of setting up this relationship between her and Joel. And I think she's going to be learning a lot from him. And I think by season two, even by the end of the season, we're going to see a much different Ellie than the one that we're seeing here. We're going to see one that's been learning from him. And I think he's going to be learning some things from her, too. I'm not saying that there's no takeaways that he's going to not learn from her. I think that she's very smart. She's very educated. I And I think they're going to be able to help each other. But, yeah, um, I love the fact that it's not like her always like getting him out of situations. Um She needs that guidance from someone that's lived out in this world. And I think it's very important. And I think you know, through this process, she's going to learn a lot from him. I can't wait to see kind of like this Ellie that has like this father figure in her in her life after some time here. And we're going to get to see how different she is and maybe how interesting she is going to be around other people. I don't know.
2: No, for sure. It kind of mimics how the game works in a way. You know, Ellie is near your side character and you're playing as Joel and he directs her to do certain things, interact with certain things in the environment. You kind of even see nods to that, like within this episode, kind of going within the crack in the wall and him directing that and things of that nature. And that's, again, you're seeing slowly as you're a player in the game, helping to grow Ellie as a helper to you and to assist. And as the game progresses, becomes much more capable. So it is mirroring that in the show, which is a really cool to actually be able to see more of a character development as opposed to just a video game side character.
0: Right. Um, Joel talks about, uh, how you, you know, you got to keep going. Like you haven't seen the world yet. What keeps you going is you got to keep going for family. Ellie says she's not family. And Joel says, no, your cargo, I made a promise to Tess, And she was like family. I think that's going to be used against him. She's going to hold on to that. And she's going to use that against him later on down the road. And I I can understand why she would. I would be like, that's such a, uh, even though they don't know each other that well, it's a, it's kind of a hurtful thing to say <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to say to someone. I would be holding on to that, and I'd be, you know, later on down the road, I'd be like, "What? I don't know. I'm just cargo to you." You know, well, adults
1: <laughs> yeah. say things to kids all the time that don't they don't think about, and you just don't know what a kid is going to latch to. And this really feels like one of those things. I think you're exactly right. Yeah,
0: it is. But on on the flip side, it's like one of those things where you don't. He doesn't want to get attached. It's like he just wants to drop her off, and and not form this bond with her, because he doesn't want to. He he doesn't want to feel the way that he felt when he lost his daughter. So,
3: Damn, yeah, absolutely. He doesn't like what he said in the second episode when he was talking to Tess. When he's like, "You got to stop talking like this kid has a future." Yeah and that's still i think where he's at but those walls are slowly getting broken down. Yeah. By by puns of all things.
1: <laughs> uh, well, and it just seems like this is why i feel like Ellie has more of a um optimistic perspective of what's, you know, going to happen um t- you know to the world i guess at large, which is that she already they are already in the future. She already has a future. She was born after this happened and she has grown into a teenager. Like there's no reason for her to think that she wouldn't get to do those things because she's here. She's doing them. So for Joel to say like there's no future, she doesn't have a future, that just seems like Well, didn't he uh, say that didn't he like say asshole stubbornness to me? Because it's like she's doing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not to didn't he say that because she had been bit and he still thought there's that she could yeah, turn? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I think
0: that's. I I I think he said that in that, that context. That
1: right, but that, he does seem he does not have any hope for the future of humanity. Sure. Which yeah. I think at this point is silly because you're in the future. It's been twenty years.
0: Well, as far as hope for humanity, I think they're talking about like the way the world used to be, like getting back to.
1: Yeah, sure.
3: Yeah, exactly. Because I was going to say, when we first see Joel 20 years into the future, he's throwing a child, a dead child into a burn pit. And I think by. With no expression on his face.
0: (laughs) I think like his hope for humanity, too, is the fact that I think he's just given up not just like on humanity, but he's given up on himself and his happiness. Uh-huh. He wouldn't allow himself to be happy with Tess. He wouldn't, he wouldn't. I mean, the only thing that I think the only thing that he's staying around for at this point is the fact that his brother's out there and this yes. promise to Tess now with this child. So I think like, I think it's a much deeper thing than like, oh, there's no, I'm sorry. My cat is playing with the mic. I think it's a much deeper <laughs> thing than, um, him just saying there's no hope from humanity. I think he's like projecting himself onto this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I also think you're saying, Brian, like you talked about the the pun book earlier and himself starting to crack and start to feel that kind of connection with her. And I think that's him trying to shut himself down from giving himself any kind of hope or feel, try to shut himself down from waking up as a person because he, again, doesn't want to set himself up for more disappointment.
0: Yeah. Uh while well, they make their way to Kansas City and we see the interstate goes through a tunnel that is blocked by wrecked vehicles, uh, Joel uh, is going to take an exit off of the highway and get onto another exit. And as they're driving, Ellie sees, I mean, what they don't see is a bunch of like burnt up bodies in the alleys.
3: Oh, yeah, that was creepy.
0: Yeah. So, OK, that that's Fedra. <laughs> There's your Fedra.
3: <laughs> that's what I thought too. After the fact, I was like, "Oh my god, that's where they they took all the victims of this slaughter that took place here and got rid of them."
0: Yeah, they just set them on fire. Um LEC's a quarantine zone. It's been abandoned. So, this they had a quarantine zone set up just like Boston. But it looks like a group has revolted against Fedra and have taken over and Honestly, th- these aren't the fireflies. These aren't fireflies. This is just like a group of rebels, but not the rebels that you'll see in Star Wars that are out to do good. The- I I think they're dangerous. I think they're even more dangerous than in a lot of ways, they're more dangerous than Fedra because they're being led by this woman who is set on revenge. And we'll get to that. We'll get we'll we'll get all into that. But uh we see a man on the street who's acting like he's injured and he's calling out for help. Uh, Joel tells Ellie to put on her seatbelt and he guns the truck and he's ready to drive through this guy. Joel says, we're not we're not going to stop and help this guy. They pass that man and then another guy on top of a building drops this large cinder block on their windshield. Then they drive over some spikes that were left on the road as a trap. And we see another man with a gun start to shoot at them. Joel then loses control of the truck. And they drive into a laundromat and they're being shot at from the street. So that is – that was <laughs> – this, this got set off pretty quickly. As soon as soon I knew as soon as they went into that city, there's nothing good going on in there. I knew no. there was nothing good going to be going – it's not like they're going to go in there and there's, there's another Fedra and everything's going to be fine. I knew something bad was going to happen here
3: yeah did joel never watch judgment night you never get off the you never get off the highway and go through the city <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great movie joe oh. it sure is emilio estevez dennis leary fuck yeah jeremy cuba good
0: Gooden jr oh such a great movie uh,
3: dennis leary yes oh dennis leary plays such a good bad guy and also the soundtrack yes movies fucking revolutionary rap uh-huh. artists teaming up with metal artists and like just creating these fucking excellent songs oh, so good 1991 right
0: Nineteen ninety, I think it might be ninety one. I know that's when uh, I think that's when Young Guns two came out. I don't know if he came out with two movies that year, but I think it could be ninety one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the elder millennials and the in the gen, what it would it be the gen xers are like, fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Notice Billy and Melissa have said nothing, nothing. nothing. <laughs> They're like, what is this movie you speak of? Oh
0: man, the 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 big party bus that they rented out, man. That big RV. Jeremy Piven. Yeah,
3: Jeremy Piven. Before before the hair plugs. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, what a fucking mistake, dude. I was sitting there watching that thinking like, dude, you got a truck. Yeah. Fucking try and pull some of that shit away. It's literally only this stuff blocking the entrance of the tunnel. The rest of the tunnel is clear. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, hey, the plot has to move forward. And also in the same vein of what the fuck are you doing? Why are you gunning it and going forward when you know there's an ambush ahead? Like, put it in reverse. But, you know, the plot must move on. Yeah, he just panicked. Yeah. If if he's, if he's he knew this was a trap, if he knew
0: it was an ambush because he's done this himself, you'd think that he'd be a little bit more savvy here. I don't know. Yeah,
3: but but he is going off of very little sleep. He was up the whole night before standing guard. Right. And, and he's just thinking in his mind, like, we just get like, – because like he said leading up to this, we're going to go through the city – it's going to be a 10-minute detour. We're going to be right back on the highway and back on our way. Mm-hmm. And, whew, whoa, what a fuck-up. Yeah. also don't know if like
2: that first guy, if you try to go in reverse, is armed, right? And you try to turn around, like, gun down, done. You don't know how many guys are very close. So at least he thinks, I can go as fast as possible that way and take That's my a chances. Good point. And like you said, he's gone through it plenty of times. So maybe his experience has shown that would be the best move is to try to get inside somewhere for cover.
3: Yeah, not the not the best place to do a three point turnaround. K turn.
0: <laughs> so they're they're inside the laundromat. The truck's in there. Truck undriveable at this point. They're they're stuck behind the truck. They're being fired on. Joel sees a hole in the wall of the laundromat and tells her to get in there and 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 stay low and stay put. She uh, she does the Joel the. Uh, The men start firing. Joel starts firing at the men. He kills one of the guys. He thinks they're dead. He stands up. And another man kind of like comes through a doorway, sneaks up on him, gets the jump on him, knocks him to the ground. He's choking Joel out with his gun. And Ellie is seeing this through the hole. And first thinks about going for the knife. Then she gets her gun. Gets up behind him, shoots him in the back. And when she, she must have hit like this, like spinal cord, because the guy talks about how he can't feel his legs at that moment.
3: Hmm. Oh, my gosh. The scene that follows is one of the most chilling things I've seen in recent years to see. I mean, a grown man. Gr- uh, granted, it's a young man, but still a grown man. beg like that was it was horrifying to watch. Well, it, you know.
0: In a lot of war documentaries, and and, even, and they show this in war movies, when men are dying, and and bull, you know bullets are flying, men are caught in trenches, men are shot, men are dying, they cry out for their mothers. Like you see a grown man like cry out mm-hmm. for, "I want my mom, I want my mom." It's like that safe. They go, they try to go back. They want that that one moment where they felt safe and they were with mom. And I thought that that was just like brilliant writing here because that's a real thing that happens. Um,
3: oh yeah, and the way he tries to humanize himself by saying, you know, hi, I'm Brian. What's your name? Yeah, we're done fighting. We're we're not fighting anymore. Everything's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and tell my people you're all okay. And the guy just gets more and more desperate as it goes on. Um, it's a complete uh, Brian, uh... as a fellow Brian. Are, are you happy that this guy seems to spell his name with a Y? <laughs> I, I did notice that in
0: these in the <laughs> subtitles, I was like, "Yeah, one more less Brian with a Y that I gotta <laughs> I gotta deal with." So that was fine. So, but uh, it it reminded me of like when Bill first met Frank, and he's holding the gun to him, and Frank says, "My name's Frank," to kind of like humanize himself. This is the complete opposite. Like, you know, <laughs> hey, we've already had a struggle. I've got a child. Joel has to oh. do what Joel has to do.
3: Oh, for sure. And and had Ellie not intervened, Brian would have killed Joel for sure. That mm-hmm. is where yeah. his life would have ended in that jank ass busted down laundromat. Yeah.
1: That's what struck me about this is that I felt horrible about this scene. But at the same time, it's like you were gonna kill Joel. Like that is fact. There's no debating that. So it's very complicated. But at the same time, it's like, you were a big, tough guy when you had all your friends around shooting and you were going to choke somebody to death.
0: Well, he's he's flipping out because Joel had just killed the other guy. So
1: no. And when he said, I don't know what to do, like that is was a very good line rating. Like mm-hmm. you can feel that young person's just pure panic that they have found themselves in a situation that they are not
0: up for prepared for well he has so many things going on here he can't feel his legs he offers up his knife he's like my mom isn't far he's he's begging and then when 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 joel tells ellie to go back in the hole he knows it's like he doesn't want ellie to see the amount of violence he's gonna put on this guy and it's Mm -hmm. not like he fucking Mm -hmm. shoots the guy you literally they don't show it but you get a close-up of ellie's face and you hear the stabbing like it's brutal
1: yeah. And I mean, he had to do it that way because they have to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. They can't continue to draw attention to themselves.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Why risk the, the noise of a gunshot and also yeah. kind of save that bullet? Too. Wait, why waste the bullet, man? Yeah. God, that kid threw the knife for It's like you just gave the executioner the tool of execution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, <sighs> that, that whole scene was just so horrifying. The way you said it, Melissa, the, the panic. In the way that that actor read the lines, like it was delivered so well.
0: He cries out for his mother in his last moments. Oh. God, it's, it was heartbreaking. Chilling.
1: it's that's it's too too real.
0: With uh with all the men dead now, Joel and Ellie are they need to they need to find a way out of here. And so Joel wants to get to the higher ground. They find a very tall building, and they're gonna get to that tall building see a way out and then leave early in the morning. This is where we get introduced now to Kathleen. And this is, uh, uh, and some other inhabitants of uh, of Kansas city and Kathleen's played by Melanie Linsky. And uh, she's most recently been in yellow jackets and she's been fantastic on that Showtime series. Um, she does play a bit of a darker character in that with a kind of like a mysterious past a uh, fantastic series if you're not watching Yellow Jackets. It did get renewed for season two on Showtime. And she was also yeah,
1: coming out in March.
0: Yeah, I cannot wait. Uh she was also in a movie called The Informant, which I was in as an extra, and I actually filmed a scene with her and Matt Damon. So just that's went... awesome. Yeah, it was very cool. I got to see her on set. Didn't get to talk to any of the actors, but I played a prisoner in the background and Melanie Linsky was there with Matt Damon and it was it was surreal. It was a surreal experience. So um she has a man locked up in a Fedra cell and she's asking him about the location of different people that have been kind of colluding with Fedra um, and selling them out. And, and one of the people that she brings up is this guy, Henry, who she believes is still around. And, she then starts to talk to this man about, like, I wonder if this is the same Fedra lockup where my brother was beaten to death. And the he's the doctor. Well, I'll just We'll just call this guy the doctor because we never find out his name, but we do find out that he was a doctor. And he says, you were wronged and I'm sorry, but this has gone too far. It has to stop. She says, oh, it has to stop now, you mean, now that you're in the cell. But before, people... Dying was okay when you were safe and protected, and ratting out, ratting on your neighbors to Fedra. Mm-hmm. And she, he, he basically, you know, she puts a gun to his head, and then basically she says something like, "Have I satisfied the necessary conditions for you to talk now?" So she's putting his life in danger, just like
1: that line was so spicy. I yeah. loved it.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, where he's begging. He's he's like, they put a gun to my head. And she just immediately points a gun at his head. Have I satisfied the terms yet? It's like, oh, my Ooh. gosh.
0: Yeah. So, love
3: seeing Melanie Linsky go dark like this. I'm, yeah. I haven't watched Yellow Jackets yet. I've, I'm more familiar with with other stuff she's been in. I've loved her in everything I've seen her in. Yellow Jackets is very high on my list. And her, her performance in this was spectacular. And also, Brian, to touch on what you were saying earlier about how, you know, Fedra was – one sort of evil that was Mm -hmm. in this place. And now it's been replaced by an entirely different sort of evil. And, you know, Fedra is doing evil thinking that they're doing the greater good. And that's why they're doing this, because this is what we have to do to keep these people in mind, to keep humanity safe. We have to be rough because hard times require hard measures. Well, now you've got this force of rebels that have overthrown Fedra, and they're operating out of this sense of righteousness, which is even more dangerous because it's – I mean, she just in the scene, she's threatening the doctor that's in their group. She's threatening to shoot a fucking doctor in the face. And because she's operating out of this sense of righteousness. And that's where, to me, she is maybe more dangerous than Fedra. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. I'm right there with
0: you. I I, I I, feel like no one's safe as long as she's got like this revenge quest that she's on. Right. I mean, oh,
3: for sure. She's being and, driven
0: by the death of her brother.
3: And we see in this scene too the iron control that she has over these people that I don't know about you, but I'm like seeing these dudes walking around with guns. And it's like these guys look like serious operators like mm-hmm. they know what they're doing. These are hardened killers and they're taking orders from her. This, you know, middle aged woman with this sweet voice and a sweet, kind face telling them to do horrific things. And they're doing it without question. And to me, that is far more scary than Fedra.
2: Yeah, I mean Melanie the,
1: Lynch, Oh, sorry, Billy, go ahead.
2: I think it's just interesting because they are they were created by Fedra, right? Like you just said, Joe, these aren't hardened soldiers. These were probably regular people before they were living where they were and having their cities or areas bombed by Fedra and by the government and you know, setting up QZ zones and stuff. So it is very interesting to see that like the tool of fedra's destruction was their own creation right i mean that's a trend you see in human history but it is again in the last of us world really interesting to see that they're just regular people who just become hardened and set with these quests of revenge like kind of like people like joel people i feel like they have nothing else to lose and that's really
3: dangerous oh well, absolutely I'm... oppressors create their own rebels sorry Melissa, yeah step...
1: that's what i think is the most interesting about this is because of the way the episode is set up um Kathleen and her crew are antagonists, but if I was living under federal rule, they're heroes, you know?
3: To an extent, and then they take over, and man, you see them turn evil fast
1: yeah i mean hopefully i'm not a collaborator but we don't know because i'm not in an apocalypse (laughs) but uh (laughs) melanie linsky had a really excellent tweet thread today and it started with her saying um that one of the most exciting things about this role for her is that her casting suggested the possibility of a future in which people start listening to the person with the best ideas and from the perspective of um, getting out from under Fedra in Kansas City. Um, I think that that's so interesting. Like before we got here, these people were all oppressed and Melanie Linsky, Kathleen, was the one with the plan and they all said, okay, I will get my gun and I will follow you.
3: Oh, and did you notice also that these, this cell that this doctor's in, the area around there is just riddled with bullets and there's blood mm-hmm. and stuff splashed everywhere. So you can tell that that QZ went down with a fight.
1: And it seems like those cells, uh, Fedra was killing people in before they started doing it. I mean, it's just a horrible cycle of oppression and violence.
3: For sure. And also when they drive, when they, when Joel and Ellie first drive by and see the, the giant gates to that QZ open, I am asking myself like, why are these people not living in a fortified location? instead they're like living outside of the thing so it's is it just bad juju inside i wonder if that's something that'll be explored
1: mhm
0: maybe they busted their way in you know what i mean and 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 that's oh yeah that's maybe when, it's not as defensible now yeah that's when the attack happened um we find out that this guy is was her doctor like this was the actual man that delivered her when she was born he talks about holding her you know in his arms uh and um he says he's claiming that he never gave Fedra any information about her brother. And Kathleen says that Henry did, though, and that she knows he's still in the city and that the doctor knows where he is. Um, and, uh, she holds the gun to his head and, you know, I was your doctor. And she says, you don't think I'll do it. Um, she kind of pauses. Uh, when he says that he's her doctor, you can tell that she's torn and she still has like some shred of humanity left. So that made me think like in this moment, like, I don't think Kathleen's going to be the worst person that we are going to see throughout this series. She still has a little shred of humanity left. Um, but, uh, that changed pretty quickly for me in, in a, in a scene coming up here. Um, we hear a horn blare on a truck and then she leaves him in the cell to go check it out. And then, um, This is where she's brought out into the street. She's there's a bunch of men out there and we see that her team has found the men that Joel killed and they've got these men laid out. Um, I believe one of them is dead and then the other one is dying. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, it seemed like Brian was dying because she had asked if if he was going to live and they said no. And and she asked the fateful question, you know. Would a doctor be able to help? And they're like, no, not at this point.
0: The leader of this group is a guy named Perry and uh, played by actor Jeffrey Pierce. And he was the voice of Tommy in the video game in the last in the last of us video games. And
3: um, he says Dude, that guy's got a look. I want to see him in a John Wick movie. Yeah, he does. I want to see Keanu he? Reeves eventually shooting him in the face. Yeah. Uh, He
0: says that the people who did this were outsiders, that they were heavily supplied and not of Fedra. And they could be mercenaries. And um, uh, Jeffrey Pierce, the actor that plays Perry in the behind the scenes. uh, 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 They had like these little behind the scenes of these episodes on HBO. He, He says that Perry has a past in the military. And so it makes you wonder that it makes you wonder, okay, the guy was in the military. A lot of these Fedra soldiers probably were, you know, plucked from the military. Makes you wonder if maybe he was on the Fedra side working with her,
3: right? Oh, I like that. That maybe she was that maybe some of the people are on her side were Fedra soldiers that turned. Right.
0: Yes. That that's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like, you know, some of them didn't like it as what didn't like what was going on as well, sided with her, and maybe Perry was one of those guys.
2: Yeah, and they could definitely use some able soldiers when needed, right? And are you gonna go into two like Perry was is actually a nice game Easter egg in himself?
0: The thing is like Perry, with him being kind of like the leader of these men here under her, you gotta think he's gotta have some pull with some of the other You know federal soldiers if that is the case
2: it'd be Uh, really really cool to have that like get
0: a little bit of that kind of like backstory yeah yeah i hope it's just not like a throwaway thing that he said you know in that interview i hope that they kind of touch on that you know um well
2: what's interesting about perry too is that perry is actually Tommy's voice actor from the video
0: game i said that earlier yeah okay cool yeah nice nice of you to join us i'm sorry nice of you to join us billy Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, Kathleen, she basically like she's so hell bent on getting Henry, finding Henry. She doesn't know this, but she thinks that Henry hired these mercenaries. She's just she anything to get these men to rally behind her, her vengeance against Henry and she asks if any of the men would um, live with the help of the doctor. They say, no, they're going to die. And so she just basically makes just like a, a beeline back to that Fedra cell and just pops that doctor.
3: Like that was quick. <laughs> oh, right. And so short sighted. It's like, oh, you can't help this one person. All right. Fuck everybody else in the future. You might be able to help. Yeah. Right? Like it, Is it? it, it- I was going to say, it almost feels like she's on like a suicide mission at this point where it's like either it's vengeance at all costs. And if it means that all the people around us die, Mm -hmm. then so be it. Yeah. And oh, that's what a horrible quality in a leader.
0: She says this is Henry's work and he won't stop until 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 we stop him. Find every collaborator and kill them all. She basically sends all these men out you know with their guns, trucks and they're just doing a building by building search looking for Joel and Ellie at this point. And uh we cut back to Joel and Ellie and they're um uh, they're hiding out and they're watching as Kathleen's men are looking for for them. Um this is when they Oh, yeah, they're they're still making their way to a tall building. And this is when they have this discussion about Joel basically saying like, you know, she's like, you know, I, what did Ellie say? She said something she said something like about um, her having the gun and shooting the guy and and helping him. And he at this point, he's just feeling bad that she was put in that situation. He's taking it as like. He let her down. She should have never been in that situation. Yeah.
3: Because didn't it start with her asking him, Hey, how are you doing?
1: Well, they check in a couple times right after it happens when Joel comes uh, back into the room with her, right after he stabs Brian. She is the one that's immediately like, I'm okay. Like, I am okay. So you don't need to have a spiral about this because it's fine. I have your flashlight. This is great. And then. They, she checks in with him the second time, which I thought that was really lovely that she, I mean, we've talked so much about how in so many ways she's a kid, but she does have this emotional intelligence that he is not really going to be okay with it. So she checks in with him again. And yeah, I mean, he feels horrible that she has to be a part of this. You know, he says, you're just a kid. He wants to make sure that she doesn't feel the responsibility of this because, you know, he's older. He even says it doesn't get easier, but it's just a thing for adults and not for children.
3: Yeah. A thing for adults. You know, it's like in the world that they live in, he's basically just saying, Hey, death and and murdering and, and doing violence on each other is going to be a thing But I draw the line at kids doing it like, wow,
1: she cries. And in that moment, I don't think
3: she's crying for for Brian. I think she's crying for for whatever thing that that she says wasn't her first time. That's what she's thinking about.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. This
3: reminded her of whatever she did before, which is I don't know for me. It makes me think like, is she thinking about Riley? Did she have to kill Riley?
0: I, yeah, because I don't think it's like what happened at that one, rat, like that one gas station. You know? I'm
1: starting to think that she maybe knew the person who bit her. And she had to kill that person. Whether that was Riley or a, a family member, one of her friends at Fedra school, I just that is kind of where I think this is leading.
3: I bet it's it's got to be Riley. I think yeah. that's where it's leaning. It's the most emotional impact. Mm-hmm. And for as many secrets as Joel is holding, Ellie's still holding her own secrets as well. Yeah.
0: When she says that it wasn't her first time doing this. I think in that moment, Joel is. Feeling more comfortable about giving her the gun. And making mm-hmm. sure that she knows how to to handle the weapon and um, you know, I th- doesn't she, did, was she gonna put it in her pocket?
3: hmm <laughs> She did shoot put it in her pocket. Off.
0: He's
3: like, yeah. Oh yeah. Your ass At off. first, she was gonna tuck it into her waistband. Yeah. <laughs> and he told her she'd shoot her ass off, and he told her to put it in her backpack. And when he wasn't looking, she put it in her in her jacket pocket instead.
2: Perry, he, how do you guys oh, feel about that? I mean, it's it's kind of like, is there really a? place for childhood and to kind of protect them from those type of things in that world right i mean is it really a a type where you can really i ably say like you shouldn't teach a child how to protect themselves in that world i mean it's a shame but i really don't think you have any other choice
3: no no uh, being able to raise children that can be children and experience the the innocence of childhood is a luxury in this world and being the way that she grew up and the world that they live in, and the class that they're in, she doesn't have the luxury of innocence. And it's just one of the cruel realities of the world that they're living in. That if she doesn't learn how to take care of herself using force, she's not going to reach adulthood.
0: Well, you look at his daughter. His like, you know, his his daughter and how how opposed she was to violence when she saw her dad react and beat up that and, and uh, kill the neighbor in the in the front yard. his Daughter freaked out, started freaking out and i think at this point he's realizing that you know she she's not my daughter she's she's growing up in this world these are harsher conditions and i don't know i it's 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 hard to say what joel's thinking
3: oh for sure i mean he's definitely horrified by the fact that this this is the reality of this because i think as much as he's not wanting to happen, his brain is constantly drawing comparisons to what it was like 20 years ago when he was a father and Sarah was still alive. And he's comparing this experience he's going through now with what he knows in his past, whether he wants to be doing it or not, those comparisons are happening in his brain. And he's horrified by the fact that Ellie had to shoot somebody. And now he's having to give in to the fact that, oh fuck, I have to accept the reality of this world. I have to let her, Carry this gun. I have to teach her the right way to hold it so that people can't take it from her. And he's he's not feeling good about it.
0: Do you guys ever view this as like a second chance for him? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, just, for sure. And you know, just like a second chance with 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 Ellie here. You know, for the daughter that he lost.
1: This is I bet... kind of the moment where I got nervous. Like, just. It's a great bonding moment, but also I think that something is being like maybe innocence, even though everybody's seen horrible things, but Joel accepting that Ellie would have a gun and it's so fatherly to give her the little gun safety lesson. But I really felt that, um, you know, the kind of like match made in hell thing they were talking about at the Uh, behind the scenes or behind the episode of the first episode, which is that these two people are meant to be together, but they're not necessarily good for each other. And I don't know what about this moment really made me feel that because I don't think that she shouldn't have the gun, but like seeing it be accepted that she will carry a gun just made me feel worried.
3: (laughs) I, I think that that's a really smart observation because I think that in both directions that these characters are going to pull each other, they're getting pulled towards more dangerous places. Because Ellie now has somebody in her life that can teach her how to do violence. And Joel now has somebody in his life that gives him somebody to care about. And I don't think a man can be any more dangerous than when he's fighting for the people he loves. And and it's going to be very interesting to see what this is like going forwards.
0: Let me let me bring let me, let me present this. Tell me if I'm crazy. I think it's going to be easier for the kids of this world to grow up in this world than it is for the adults, Emo- oh, yeah, emotionally, yeah. because this is what they're growing up in. And I think like the adults remember the way it used to be and the rules that were in place and the rules that were enforced and you know the neighborly love that they received back in the day. Um, no, no matter. I mean, yes, the world's not fucking perfect, you know, in 2003 and before, but it was not
3: this. So yeah, it was mostly civilized. Oh, these kids for sure. These kids don't know that
2: they, like converse around doing the adventure per se. LAC everything they come across is intriguing to her. Oh, my God, that's cool. I've never seen that before. I've never seen this before. And I'm sure through Joel's eyes, he's like yeah that used to actually work. this used to be functioning. this used to actually be a thing, and just that dichotomy like you're saying, Brian, I think would definitely be just much more of a as crazy as it sounds would be a little more optimistic at least for someone because they
0: don't know what they're missing because they never had it well, just I'm just talking about like the the death and the carnage of this world too this these kids growing up and seeing violence at such an early age, I think they'll just be. I'm not saying anybody should have to deal with this. I'm just saying I think that they will be uh, able to h- handle this emotionally better than even an adult because that's just the world that they're exposed to.
3: Yep. That's their base level. Their yeah. base level is apocalypse.
0: Yes. It's <laughs> crazy. Uh, Back to Kathleen here. Um, Perry says that they found – they found something and he and he takes Kathleen to this uh crawl space in a, in a building inside they find these uh um like empty cans of food all over the uh, all over the floor um someone had been staying in there there's drawings of superheroes um from a child on with crayon and you can see that uh, even on one of the walls that uh, one of the superheroes depicted there uh is fighting a fedra soldier so I find <laughs> this is the guy that Kathleen's going after. These these are clearly drawings uh of a child and and whoever, you know, a child that that Henry's with and this and the child has got drawings of him going after Fedra soldiers. Why would a child be drawing superheroes fighting Fedra soldiers if if his father was working with them? Like it's like They have the same enemy. I I think that this is just I think she's going after the wrong person here.
3: Yeah, 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 absolutely. She's got an idea in her brain of what the truth of it is. She feels that her side is on the side of righteousness, and she's going to pursue that to the detriment of everything else around her.
0: Blinded by revenge. Uh, Yeah, 100%. Uh, They notice that all the food's gone. uh, So she believes that they're out there making a food run and they got to be close. So Perry then takes Kathleen to this other room. We see this crater in the ground and then that crater starts to move. Um, And even in this moment, he's like, you know, this is a this is a big problem. Like, I think they know like what? What could be happening here? Like maybe they've encountered something like this before, and she's still hell bent on like, oh, just seal it off, make sure nobody goes inside. We'll deal with it later.
3: We got to go after Henry. She's just hell bent on revenge. And I think <laughs> yeah, we we need to go after the important thing here. We've all seen the ground heave and shake like this. It's no big deal. Yeah. Let's go after the manufactured villain here that's keeping me in power.
0: Exactly. It's just I I just one bad decision after the next. Like she's just driven by just blind rage here at this point.
3: Oh, yeah. And and you can tell that, that soldier knows, "Oh shit, I I don't agree with what she's doing here, yeah. but" I'm the person who follows orders. I'm the person who needs a strong lead. And and that's who Kathleen is. She is the strong lead that, that these hardened men are going to follow, even if it's against their better judgment.
0: Joel and Ellie uh, enter the building, the tall building, and uh, they want to um, climb as uh, – high as they can go i i I think that yeah they make it 33 floors uh before uh joel gets gets tired out here and um ellie calls joel a lazy ass and he's like i'm 56 years old you little shit and i was just like (laughs) (laughs) and he's been up all night and he's been shot at and he's been almost choked out come on yeah, yeah, he was almost dead an hour ago.
2: <laughs> Dudes drove a solid 12, 13 hours, got into a car accident, got shot at, did this whole BS. And you said, what, the 33 flights like you can cut him a break.
0: Yeah, um, they they find a room and they're going to stay in that. And uh, they make these uh, beds out of cushions that they find. Um, Joel starts spreading uh, broken glass on the ground. Uh, near the door. That way, if somebody tries to come in, they're going to hear the, the, you know, the crunch of the glass.
3: And... Didn't Tom Cruise's character do that in the first Mr. Impossible movie? Oh, God. I, I haven't seen that in a long time, Joe. <laughs> right? Joel was like, I just remember this. I saw this in the
0: theater not too long ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's true. The movie would have only been seven years old by that point Uh (laughs) uh-huh joel loved renting movies yeah well the movie came out we know he loved action movies it came out in 96 so the world went to shit in 2003 so somewhere in that seven years he watched mission impossible joe great (laughs) great observation joe
3: (laughs) broken glass makes crunch crunch sound while i go sleepy (laughs) um so
0: joel asks ellie in this moment as the you know before they go to bed Um, what she meant that it wasn't her first time hurting people. And uh, this, this time it's, it's Ellie who says, I don't want to talk about it. She's been willing to talk about everything else, but this is the time where she doesn't want to talk about it, which again, made me believe like, this is a personal story probably deals with Riley again.
3: Yeah. Without a doubt. It's something that's very, very close to her. And it's, uh, it's a pain she still carries. And it's a pain that's very close to her heart. And Hey, Cargo's not willing to share that story with the driver yet.
0: Um, Ellie asks if it gets easier when you're older, and Joel says it doesn't. Um, she's curious about the glass because she notices that basically, like, Joel is not... He doesn't hear too well on his right side. And um, she asks if it's because that that's where he, w- he he was shot. And he says it's probably more from the shooting. So... He's lost some hearing in the right side, and um, I think that that's that's going to be important going forward. Ellie then <laughs> Ellie then tells one of her pun jokes again. Um, Joel, did you know diarrhea is hereditary? It runs in your genes, and this is a beautiful moment. And they both were laughing, and I I kind of fucking loved it.
3: <laughs> yeah, the joke that finally cracked his facade. And as much as he tried to hide it, he couldn't. Yeah. And I loved it when he first cracked his, a laugh. And he like, covered it up. And he was like, that's stupid. And she's like, you laughed, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: got very I found myself. This is like when I found myself getting the most emotional. It's oh. just from a, a joke. But like it just like you said, it, you felt the real human connection between them.
1: And it was just nice to see that in the post apocalypse, you can still like get the giggles with someone. At a sleepover.
3: Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. A little bit, a little apocalypse isn't going to squash that much of human nature. <laughs> <laughs> and uh,
0: in the middle of the night, Ellie wakes up, starts calling out for Joel. Joel gets up and sees that she's being held at gunpoint. And uh, Joel sees a child with a... It's a drawn-on red superhero mask holding a gun on him and holding it the way Joel would have taught the child to hold it.
3: Oh, um, I didn't catch that detail. I love it.
0: Yeah. This kid has done this before. So as the credits roll, we hear a cover of New Order's True Faith. And I found this out. Uh, it was actually used in promotional material for The Last of Us Part Two. Um and yeah, let me read this. I got this from Kotaku.com. Over the credits, we hear uh, Lottie Kessner's cover of New Order's True Faith. Interestingly, this cover was the basis for a version of the song that Ellie sang in a commercial for The Last of Us Part 2, which prompted Kestner to tweet about the unauthorized use of her cover. Uh, naughty dogs, Neil Druckmann soon tweeted an apology for the oversight and said they were working to rectify it and that Kessner deserved recognition for her work. Hearing it featured here is a nice coda to the story and hopefully gets Kessner's lovely cover more recognition still. So, um, yeah, the episode ends with us meeting, uh, Sam and Henry here at the end. And we found out, uh, through some interviews, a little bit more about these characters. I want to go over that here in a moment. But I do want to know your guys thoughts on the episode overall. Joe, what did you think about this episode?
3: I thought it was great. This movie the the pacing in it was fantastic. I mean, I know it was a shorter episode and only around 45 minutes or so, but I mean it really really flew by. Um, A lot of really great development between Joel and Ellie, really good development in setting up this next threat that's ahead of them. And then throwing this bone in at the end that um, from what I gather, game players are familiar with who these characters are. I haven't gotten this far in the game yet, so I don't know who they are, but the way that that kid was, was putting a finger to his lips at the end and shushing them. it, It makes it seem like the guns were out to just to show them they were serious. And as something needed in case, you know, in case it's needed. But overall, I feel like these two characters pointing guns at them are really protecting them some, from something else that's probably in the building. Um, most likely Kathleen's men. Uh, but yeah, this was a fantastic episode. I think it did a great job of moving the story past where we left off the last one and really propelling us into this uh, latter half of the season.
0: Yeah. Melissa, what do you think about this one?
1: Yeah, I'm right there in agreement. I thought that this episode flew by in a really fun way and just left me wanting to more to see the next week episode but i love watching weekly tv so it's not like oh i wish there was another one to click on it's like man i cannot wait to think about this for a week to talk to folks about it and to get really hyped up for the next episode since we've got some things on the table now that i think are gonna start paying off and we
0: we don't even have to wait a full week it was only five days right (laughs) we're getting on friday yeah so The only bad thing about that is then we're going to have to wait nine days for the next one.
3: (laughs) Oh, I know. I had that thought that it's always exciting on the front half. On the front end, when you get an episode early, it's exciting. But then it's like, oh, shit. Now it's an even longer wait to the next one. Exactly.
1: I have some friends that are speculating they're going to do this with the finale as well or maybe even skip a week because – um, I think the finale is supposed to air the same night as the Oscars. I don't necessarily know or think that HBO would do that, but I guess it's a possibility.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think the Oscars. I mean, the Super Bowl is definitely bigger than the Oscars, so I don't know if they're gonna. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Super Bowl is like the most watched, you know, sure. thing on primetime yeah. every year.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just. I don't know. Like, if if it'll be interesting to see if HBO is like even worried about the Oscars at this point.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, they do have like stake in some of the films that could be awarded. So maybe it's like a business decision. <laughs> but, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Billy, what would you think about this one? I really enjoyed it. Uh,
2: I really do think that this was a crucial kind of, like you said, kind of more side arc this week and next week that from the game. I really like that exposing these characters and these new characters and even with the history of Joel and Ellie of like we talked about last week like who is good and evil in this world are our protagonists people we fully will root for at all times will they go through the path we want them to go is there any chance for innocence And But then at the same time, those little moments, again, like the pun book and the jokes at the end that provide that little moment of humanity that is really the through line of this whole series right now is like, what the hell will keep you going? And it's those little moments. And it always goes back to save who you can, enjoy what you can. And that's why I felt like this episode, even though a lot of things go to hell for them, that there's that humanity still is striving through. And again, I think they hit a home run.
0: Yeah, I loved it, man. It was a great episode. I loved the the teaching lessons, and I loved you know Ellie's and and the pun book, and and just not know the not knowing of like what you were going to bump into in this world. Like I had no idea we were going to be going into Kansas City, which you know you you get there and it's not what you expect. Like Fedra's been overthrown. <laughs> We've got a woman on a on a vengeance quest here. It's none of this was expected. I'm just like and so I'm I'm here for the ride. I think it's it'll I think like this episode will even be better upon watching the next episode because they're going to be so closely connected. But I really did enjoy this one quite a bit. I want to talk more about Henry and Sam here. Uh, apparently in the game, Henry is around 25 years old and Sam is 13 and they're. They're uh, brothers, and in this series, Henry appears to be around the same age. He's played by uh, Lamar Johnson, who plays Henry, and he's 28 years old, um, and Sam in this series is just nine years old, so I don't know if they're brothers here. This might be father-son relationship.
2: It's kind of what the relationship kind of is in the game. It is more of a father-son relationship anyway, because he's really taking care of the younger brother. So I don't think that would be too much of a stretch to do that in the in this in the TV show.
0: Um Henry's played by Lamar Johnson. Like I said, he's most well known for his roles as Charlie in All the Bright Places and Steven in The Hate You Give. The Hate You Give was fantastic. I don't know if you guys have yeah, seen it. Was. it was very good. Um Let's see here. We find out – I got this from thegamer.com, and this is something that we're going to find out in the next episode is that um, The Last of Us creator, Neil Druckmann, spoke with The Washington Post via Naughty Dog Central regarding the challenges – of turning a video game into what will hopefully be a critically acclaimed TV series. Drugman explained that some of the hardest decisions when choosing what to include revolved around rejecting potentially great ideas and also tweaking the game's award-winning story so it fits a better new medium. One of the changes from the video game to this series being adapted has to deal with Henry and Sam – and the choice was to make Sam deaf, quote, that kind of constraint led to really interesting storytelling decisions that in some ways make the sequence more impactful than it is in the game. Um, if you have played through that particular part of The Last of Us, you'll know making it even more impactful will be quite the accomplishment if Druckman is right. Um, the Washington Post also had... Uh, oh, I got... I, more news here from The Washington Post. They were talking about uh, – talking to Druckmann. He said, some of the best storytelling sometimes in passive media and TV and film is scenes that don't have any dialogue, and it is just about reading a person's expression. Uh, one of the changes that we made for the TV show is we made Sam deaf, and it started from a place of just like talking with Craig Mazine, and we're like, what if we could use less dialogue that kind of constraint led to really interesting storytelling decisions that I would say in some ways made the sequence, that sequence with Sam and Henry more impactful than it is in the game. Um, if you're familiar with uh, Kivon Woodard, the actor who will play Sam in the adaptation, then you likely assumed his character would be deaf since Woodard himself is deaf. deaf. The alteration to Sam's character when compared to the game isn't the... Isn't, on, uh, isn't the only oral change made for the show. Its creators have also revealed Joel will be deaf in one ear, an issue caused by a gunshot before the events of the show. So, if Joel is partially deaf in one ear, do you think maybe Joel has picked up some sign language along the way? Because you got to think that maybe that's caused... Some issues when he was out with his crew, you know, with Tess and Tommy and things like that. Maybe Joel can, I don't know. I'm just thinking maybe Joel knows a little bit of sign language because he's not, he, he's not, he wasn't always in the room with his, with his crew. And if they were doing things like we saw, you know, the men in Kansas City doing here, um, maybe they, they had some other forms of communication.
3: I don't know. I I like that that because that would be a really instant connection uh, or just another layer of connection with these two new characters that we just got introduced to.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Makes sense from, like you said, a tactical standpoint if they were doing things like jumping other caravans and things in the past and also with the clickers and stuff of being attracted to sound. Sure, sign language would come in handy in that world. Yeah.
3: And it's a whole new level of layer also for Sam that – he could be in a c- scenario where to know where these clickers are, it helps to hear them making those sounds, and he's not going to hear them.
0: Yeah, but with the <laughs> with whatever the fuck is under the ground, he's definitely going to feel those vibrations.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. I got some ideas mm-hmm. about what that could be under the oh, ground, too, when we get too. there later. Me, too. Yeah, I actually, I
0: was kind of like, uh, I, I'm not 100%, but I was kind of spoiled by an article that was talking about what it could be, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not good.
3: <laughs> no, it's not good at all. <laughs> I think they gave it away a little bit in the trailer for the next episode, too.
0: Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. That is all I have. Did you guys have any final thoughts, anything that I, that we didn't cover that you guys wanted to point out?
3: I I just want to say after that last episode we had where it it did a bit to move the the plot forward, but mostly it just gave us this side story, this beautiful love story between these two characters. I was really curious to see what it was going to be like jumping back into the actual world of this outside of Bill's town. And this episode didn't disappoint. It it had me on the edge of my seat and be very worried for our protagonists. And the the ending of this, I, I... I, I disagree with the people complaining about this online that it was a shorter episode. I think this episode ended exactly where it needed to, um, and and I think the next episode is going to have us on the edge of our seat even more mm-hmm. with with threats from multiple angles.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: I just uh, part of me just wants them
0: to get the fuck out of Kansas City. No
3: shit, <laughs> ASAP. Right? It sucks
0: there. Get out. Yeah.
3: Can't even get ribs there now. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Or if they are giving you ribs, they're probably the human variety. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was
0: just going to say, you could eat – they had some charred Fedra soldier ribs on display (laughs) earlier. Just slather some barbecue sauce on those. But, uh, yeah, fantastic episode. We'll be back uh, next week covering episode five. Guys, uh, yeah, I mean, we are – I think it's going to be nine episodes total. We're almost at the halfway point, so –
3: yeah. Yeah. Right there, dude. Um, do you do you want to get into a little bit of what we think that this threat could be under the ground? So
0: spoilers. Yeah. So basically possible spoilers here. So if you want to if you don't want to hear this, then then drop off. Yeah. Joe. Yeah, what?
3: And, and Billy, I think you should be the one to talk about this because you have far more experience with the game. I've, I'm to the point where I've only fought one of them so far. But yeah, I think you and I are on the same wavelength here. What this is.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a bloater, probably, which is the kind of the, you would call if you're a video game player, kind of like a tank type enemy that is a big bullet sponge and throws spores and kills you quickly and moves way faster than it should for something of its size. And basically just how the clickers are just, you know, in someone that's been infected, probably literally from the jump and just allowed to just continue to grow and grow and evolve and evolve and It would be like a basic giant, you know, Snorlax abomination zombie that very interested to see how they're going to approach trying to take one down in live action.
0: Well, like what I've I've read is basically like these bloaters, when we see, you know, the infected that we've seen before, we've seen kind of like the fungus coming out of their head. These have it covering their body. So they're going to be much harder to kill.
3: Yeah. It's, it's like they got a layer of armor on when Billy described him as a bullet sponge. He's, he's not kidding. And, and, and they, in the game, it's like, they throw these like spore grenades at you. And since they're not doing spores in the show, I wonder if it's just going to be more of, this is just something that no matter how much they're shooting, it just keeps coming.
2: Yeah. I mean, because I think if you have, you're not going to do like tendrils, I would think, I don't think, again, you're starting to get into like a, a stranger things looking monster, but that's really what I think it it is. It's just going to, the whole it's basically going to try to probably like take the building down on top of it. That's probably how they feel like they're going to try to approach it. It seems like the whole building was kind of retrofitted to almost be a prison for that bloater, and now because of the cracks, the whole thing's in. Because I guess really Joel and Ellie coming are going to be the spark that leads to it emerging. And like I said, they are they are no jokes. And I I think in the game you only come across them. Um, Handful of times, and so it's definitely not something that, um, I think towards like the end of the game, like one of the last times you encounter them, there's like maybe two of them, and that's considered like a crazy battle, right? So, one of them, looking forward to that, yeah. This (laughs) one of them, this early on in the series, is going to be a challenge for sure.
0: Yeah, we're in
3: episode five, possibly, we're going to meet one of these things, so wow, I think for sure we are. I think they pretty much gave it away, gave away the farm in the trailer.
0: Yeah. All right. That is all we have. But I want to thank uh, everybody. Uh, I want to thank you guys, of course, for uh, joining on the podcast. I want to thank our listeners. But Billy, where can people find you, man?
2: You can find me on YouTube or TikTok, the Reality Guys. We cover everything and anything reality TV. So anything from The Bachelor to Below Deck to Milf Manor, Survivor, The Challenge, anything you can think of, we are covering it. Like I said, the Reality Guys on YouTube, TikTok, any social media. Melissa,
0: where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mellow Yellow and co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast where we talk about movies.
0: And you can find uh, Joe and myself every week on Pop Culture Leftovers, we where we uh, cover uh, new movies and TV shows. And uh, yeah, the next thing we're going to be talking about is uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. I'm actually getting to see it a little bit early on the 13th. So Monday, I'll be watching Quantum Mania, giving my reaction the next day on Tuesday. That episode, I'll be Uploading it on Tuesday the 14th, so if you want to listen to my reaction, not going to get into spoilers, if you want to hear what my thoughts on that movie, then definitely check out Pop Culture Leftovers. Please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time. See ya.